Welcome to the Dynamics Hot Dish, the podcast where Ashley Steiner, Allie Nelson, and Liz McLennan dish up the latest news and insights about Dynamics and the Power Platform. Join us to explore business applications and low-code development with tips, tricks, and real-world experiences. So grab a seat at the table and let's dig in. Thanks everyone for coming back. We're, we're back for another week. We have an exciting topic we're going to talk about. Um, but first, we just want to thank everyone for being here and, and sticking through um, all of our podcasts and, um, you know, for coming back into seeing all these episodes and um, feel, please, please reach out to us on um, any platform that you're listening this, you know, to this podcast on, if it's Spotify or on YouTube, on our website, social media, please interact with us, subscribe to us so you can get notifications. Um, and then also make sure that you rate our podcast um, in Spotify or whatever podcast app you're using and give us a comment that actually helps us rank higher um, and, and get to more people. So we really appreciate um, everyone sticking through and, and giving us uh, that little boost. Um, so yeah, so now the fun stuff's out of the way, Allie. We have a, <laughs> a fun topic today. We're going to talk about Azure DevOps. I love this topic so much. Anytime anyone brings up Azure DevOps, I'm like, I love Azure DevOps. And I feel like it's the organizer in me where instead of using OneNote to keep track of things and like using the checkboxes there or emails or still use Post-it notes, but <laughs> anything, right? Anything instead of those and Azure DevOps really helps you keep track of everything for an entire project and to see who's working on what. So I am excited to dive into this. And this will be our first of a few episodes that we're doing about Azure DevOps because Ashley and I both love it. And we started writing down the topics to talk about and realized that we have a lot to say. So be prepared, we'll have some more episodes coming too. Yeah, and what's funny, um, for those OGs out there, we did a Azure DevOps podcast like two and a half years ago, like really started at the beginning of the podcast. Um, so I'm excited for this topic for two reasons. One, because Ali is also a user of Azure DevOps and I love hearing how other people are using it to keep them organized. Um, but also too, I actually use Azure DevOps now. So when we did the episode two years ago, I had never even seen Azure DevOps. So I had no idea what anyone was talking about. So I'm excited today, I actually will know something um, so that, that makes me feel better. <laughs> so when you did the episode two and a half years ago, were you kind of a skeptic or were you being curious? What was your response to what was being talked about? Yeah, that's a great question. So I actually used a different like system. Like I was using Jira basically. Okay. So I'd say the same concept, still a tool for project management, keeping user stories. We had epics, just a different system, but now that I've used Azure DevOps, I like it more than any other system I've used. I agree with you. It's funny you say that because when I first started using DevOps tools like this, I used Jira as well. And I really loved the Kanban board concept in it. Mm -hmm. And that was really what drew me to it. And then I've been using ADO, an acronym out there for everybody, but Azure DevOps ADO, and I like it a lot more too. And I'm not biased, I promise. I just genuinely like it more. <laughs> Well, and, and I've used Trello too. You know, there's a whole lot of other systems. Monday.com, I think, is a, also like a project management tool. Um, there's a lot of them out there, and I would say the concepts are all the same, but I think the familiarity that I have with Microsoft tools, it makes ADO just a little bit easier for me to understand, like the navigation, where to go, how to set things up, because it all kind of uses that same 
you know, methodology that Microsoft has. So I am biased. I'll admit it. (laughs) (laughs) We're taking a quick commercial break to talk about Community Summit, the largest independent Microsoft ERP, CRM, power platform, and AI user conference on the planet, which is happening in Charlotte, North Carolina from October 15th to the 20th. Why should you join thousands of Microsoft users attending? The agenda is for users by users. You will accelerate your learning with 500 plus education and training sessions. Connect with over 4,000 users sharing tips, tricks, and tutorials. Your registration includes all meals and receptions. And there's more exciting news, the new generative AI pre-conference. This is the perfect opportunity to understand where, why, and how AI specifically generative AI via Copilot for Microsoft, should be applied to drive business results. Leverage the unmatched value of Summit North America. Visit summitna.com. That's S-U-M-M-I-T-N-A.com. We'll see you in Charlotte. All right. Well, to kick it off, I think the first thing that I'll mention just really briefly is you may not know that you already have access to Azure DevOps. I think that a lot of people don't realize that it comes with a lot of the Dynamics licensing or Microsoft 365 licensing. So go check it out if you already are using Microsoft tools because you may already have it included in your licensing. So it's available to you for no extra cost. So I think that's already the added benefit. And even if you get into a situation where you have to pay for it, I think the licenses are really cheap. Like the first five users are free and then it's only like $5 per user per month after that. So it is really, really inexpensive. Um, And then it is a Microsoft hosted tool, which is why it's included in a lot of that licensing. Do you know if that's like an E5 license? I know they're adding a ton of stuff to that E5 license. I actually don't know what type of license it is, but we'll look it up and we can link it and then we'll share. Yeah, we'll put it in the notes. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was interesting. So um, in the second interview that Liz did at Build, um, you know, it was shared that like they're adding all of these collaboration tools into the E5 license. So I just wonder if this is one of those additional collaboration tools that they're starting to include in licensing. I think it's great. I think it's Microsoft's way of recognizing that all of these tools work together nicely and bundling them up in the same license structure as well. You know, this is a little bit off topic, but Viva Sales as well being included with Dynamics licensing. And, you know, you can buy that ad hoc as well. But with Copilot, Viva Sales, everything coming up in that realm right now, it's really nice that it's bundled in with existing licensing too. So I I appreciate that for simplicity's sake and being able to understand licensing a little bit better. Yeah, view sales is definitely something we should probably talk about at some point. <laughs> it's it's gotten it's grown a lot since the announcement of Copilot. So, yeah. um, so so I mean, Azure DevOps is huge, right, Ali? So like, when you kind of start to look at it, um, or at least like the different areas, like how do you use ADO in your everyday life as a consultant? Yeah, well, I think the best place to start is to talk about different capabilities of it. And I'm a functional consultant and I've used this at um, businesses that I've worked at in the past as well. So I want to call that out because I use it differently than some of my teammates do. So I use it to keep track of what users are telling me and what requirements are for the projects that we're working on. But some of my teammates that are more in the development space or technical engineers, they use DevOps in a way to keep track of their code. 
So there are different areas within ADO to keep track of um, like requirements and things like that, that your business gives you. And then there's also code repositories. Um, so yeah, Ashley, if you wanted to run down like what the different areas are that are available to folks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think the requirements portion is more the boards. And I think that's probably what I'm most familiar with. Um, and then also there's the test plans, which I've used uh, as part of like UAT testing or go lives, things like that. So those are the two areas that I would say I'm the most familiar with. Um, I had no idea that there was a code repository in ADO. Um, so when, you know, doing the research and um, looking up for this podcast, I was actually really excited to hear that because I think that's something that even as a consultant, you can, you know, because your developer always, if you have to update code, you know, it's really easy to just go grab it and give it to your developer and things like that. Um, and then there's also pipelines and artifacts, which I had not heard of. So I don't think we're going to be diving into those because I think as consultants, the boards and the test plans are probably what's going to touch us the most. I 100% agree with you. I think, um, you know, the gist of that is that there's all these different areas geared towards different folks. So you have, like Ashley said, the boards area that more functional or business analysts or uh, product owners, they might work in that area most frequently. And then under the repos or code repository area, that's where you'd have your developers working. And then under test plans as well, you have QA teams or quality assurance teams who may want to set up um, test plans and run test execution from that area as well. And I know some businesses will also set up testing automation using Azure DevOps too. Um, so I know there's a lot you can do with test plans, but again, just to highlight that there's all different areas within the system for different types of users. Oh, and I'll say one more thing quick about the code repositories. I haven't messed with this, but I do know that you can also set up like automatic environment solution deployments using um, Azure DevOps as well. So if that's in your realm, I would recommend checking that out. Um, so I have been hearing this too. So you can use it for automation too. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that because it's, um, I don't want to say it's like outside of my wheelhouse, but I haven't done something large enough to warrant using ADO to like move the solutions. And I'd say that's a huge benefit. And maybe one of the reasons why so many folks that work in the dynamic space are probably biased towards ADO is because they can use it for that automation because downloading and importing solutions gets really old. <laughs> so, so yeah, having some sort of automated way to do it would be awesome. I 100% agree. Have you ever been in those situations where your solution gets so big and you're babysitting it for like five hours, wondering when it's going to go and hoping that it's not going to air? <laughs> yes. Yep. We've all been there. That's when you bring out like the bottle of wine and have a glass and just sit there and stare at it, waiting for it to, nope, that's just me. <laughs> nope, I'm with you. And you, you kind of like, you're like, oh, I'll multitask, but all it turns into is, oh, I think it's done now. And then you just keep going back to it. Yep. And I feel like sometimes if I'm doing other things, it like takes longer to do. That's probably just me and not. So I like to just have it sit up there and have nothing else running on my computer because I'm like. I'm going to give all the energy towards importing that solution. <laughs> I'd love to see you like Chromecasting it to your TV too. So you can just hang out in the living room, like sitting back with a glass of wine, just watching it on the big screen. That's what I do on my Friday nights. You nailed it. <laughs> um, so, so when you're talking about boards, so you mentioned a lot of different people that are, are using it. Um, and you know, you said, you said you like the can, is it Kanban? Can, Kanban? How did you say that? I say Kanban. 
yeah. Band. I've heard it both ways. So, um, so, so boards and, and there's backlogs. One of the things that I like the best about the, the boards, and we talked about this in our user acceptance testing um, podcast, was talking about the, are things a bug or is it a feature? It's a great way to kind of start to build the backlog. Um, of things that are coming, um, you know, things that you know have to be done and then you can prioritize. So there's a lot of different things to the boards. It's not just sprints. It's not just active work. It's also prepping what your next work is going to be. And I think that kind of takes us into like the different work item types, right? So like what kind of work we can put into the, into the board. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like this can be very different for different people. There are, I don't even know, Ashley, how many different types of work items are out there, but you can also create custom work items as well. So you can get really fancy really? with this mm -hmm. <laughs> um, just based off of your needs. But I think where everyone starts is with epics and features. I think that's where everybody starts. Um, the epic is going to be your highest level item that you're working on. So if you're doing like a project implementation, that's probably going to be your project or like big pieces of your project because you're going to use other work item types below that to group the work that you're doing. So you start with epics at that highest level and then I would use features below that. So like with an epic example, I would say you probably have something like, um, you know, account management, you're working with accounts. And then below that epic, you may have something like you need to be able to create accounts. So a feature may be um, account creation at a high level because there may be several requirements within there. Like if you need to map over countries or, you know, various things, maybe a loose example here, but you can see kind of how we're starting at the very highest level and then getting more granular as we're working down in those different work item types. What's an example, Ashley, that you use them for? Yeah, so, so I was going to ask also the benefit. So I would love to loop around back to that. Um, sure. But I use it the same way, right? So when you think of like, um, let's say you're doing sales and customer service implementation, it's the same. I, I use it the same way as you do, like kind of grouping up, like what are those main components? So if it's, we're rolling out accounts, contacts, leads, and then we also need to set up cases, I would probably create epics for those three items or four items and maybe even break it down a little bit smaller like if we need to create leads and then convert leads i mean there's a lot of arguments one way or the other um you might just call it lead to opportunity management i mean i think it just kind of depends on what the requirements are and how granular you want to get but yeah definitely the features is where you can kind of start to break down the, the different pieces um so so ali in your experience what's the benefit to you to create that hierarchy? Truly, it helps me really stay organized. So when you're working on a project, you know, whether it's a dynamics implementation or something totally different, there's usually more than one person involved. And those people have different skill sets and can work on different items at the same time. So what that allows you to do is group things into similar categories that can be worked on at the same time. And so maybe this is something where uh, like you can add sprints into Azure DevOps as well. And we haven't mentioned that yet, but maybe a good segue there where you can actually set up sprint periods within ADO. You can tie dates to them too and say, during this three week period, I want to get this work achieved. And I think by dividing it up into those categories, it allows you to quickly see items that might be similar and grouped together. So you can prioritize them and identify dependencies um, in order to keep the whole project team organized and kind of moving in that same direction. 
I think that's a key point that you just hit there is the dependencies, right? So if you think about if you're using accounts and cases, you can't really tie cases back to your customer until you have the accounts created and you have that whole structure um, of how you want to create accounts. So I, I think that for me, I agree it's about grouping like work together, but it's also showing the progress of, you know, we can work on multiple things at the same time, but we also can't work on this until this is done. Um, and so you're able to kind of create that map of, you know, what you can work on at the same time, but also, you know, we can't do this until this other work is completed. Yep. I think that makes sense. Have you ever run into situations where you're trying to figure out where the dependencies are and like, what tricks have you used to help identify dependencies? Oh, you just, that's a, a small um, question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, so for me, it's always, ooh, I don't know. I, during backlog sessions is where we usually find the dependencies, right? Cause we'll be talking like, what are the requirements? What has to go into something? And we'll say, well, wait, this, requires this work over here to be done. I don't know if I have a better answer for you, Allie, than just like, oh, it comes up in conversation and you realize you probably have a much better response to that. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. It's it's kind of a pain point, right? And it can be kind of tough to track dependencies. Um, I do like the linking feature in ADO. So, right. you know, like, again, we've talked about how you start with the epic and then you can link the feature to it. So you're tying all these things together. So you can kind of see the tree that you're building. And there are different kind of links. So instead of having that parent kind of hierarchical view, you can also relate like tasks together um, using like a related by or something. But I feel like sometimes that isn't very obvious for the teams to see. It might not be an area that they're looking in. So it, you know, it may take a little bit of digging to find those. So sometimes I just write in like the requirement and highlight it in yellow. This needs to be done after this item. You know, and that's a good point because I've always wondered like, and I just have never tried to do it, but there's got to be some sort of dashboard or map where you can see that hierarchy, right? Where you've linked like things as a dependency or as a predecessor, successor, you know, whatever. Um, there's got to be a way to view that. I've never figured it out, but I like Allie that you just kind of, I just always put things in bold and like, hey, this comes before, you know, or to user story, you know, 908, it needs to happen first. <laughs> Right, exactly. Just trying to make it obvious to the person who's grabbing it to work on. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so we got Epic's features. What do you typically then tie to your features as the next work item? Yeah, so I typically do user stories. Okay. I know everyone's different <laughs> based on your look that you have there and then also the notes you sent me. So, so yeah, we do user stories then from that point of just, you know, what does the user need to be able to accomplish? And then as part of the user story, we'll, we'll gather requirements of like how to accomplish those and put those into tasks. So that's how I have typically used, used ADO. Yeah, and that's really similar. Um, I've used user stories. There's also requirements. There's also, I think you said it earlier, the product backlog items. Yeah. So, so there's all types of things that you can use after features, but I'm guessing we all use a similar concept in the sense of this is the point where we're capturing what our users want and trying to add in that detail of they want to be able to do this so that they can do this with their job. 
right? So I think that's kind of the next level. Um, and you said user story, so I'm guessing that's similar for you. Yeah, and that's what I what I I always like to title my user stories that way. Like as a customer service rep, I need to be able to do blank. Um, you know, and I try to make my user stories really generic in general because I don't want to solve for the problem, right? I'm not trying to create or solution on the spot. I'm just saying as a customer service rep, this person needs to be able to do blank in order to do their job. Um, during this, you know, the solutioning conversations and creating tasks, that's where you kind of start to come up with like, okay, how are we actually going to solve for this? So that's what I love about user stories is it really makes you put your, you know, put you, you're in the shoes of that person, you know, trying to see what they need to do to complete their job. Um, I've, I've only ever used the, the back product backlog item. I already forgot the name of it. Um, or PBI. I think of power BI when people say PBI, um, I've only used it once. It was actually with TechFluence. I think we've mentioned before in a couple of podcasts, Liz and I did like a, we worked with a team and did a re-implementation of Dynamics and they used product back product backlog items rather than user stories. I think it's hard to say. Um, and it's, it, they're slightly different um, where a user story is like the perspective of the user and what they need to be able to do where a PBI is just like a single element of work. So it's like one thing that you're gonna do and not about like what the user needs to do to do their job. So it's just coming at it from like a slightly different perspective. Um, but I work have worked in like that scrum agile kind of environment so much that user stories is kind of just where I've lived. See, and I, I kind of like that concept now that you explain it because user stories do tend, and you can t-shirt size them and all that fun terminology that we have, but um, I feel like those tend to be a little bit larger where after you are on a project for a while or your team is using a tool, they might come back and say, I want this one very specific thing done. And it might not be a user story. It might be a, Hey, I want this column moved in a view. And it gets a little tedious to try to write that out as like, as a salesperson, I want the name field to be moved one to the right because I want it there, you know? So yeah. it's, yeah. So I like that idea for using those PBIs. That's funny. We create those as support cases because <laughs> we don't know what else to do with them. So we're like, oh, this tiny little thing, we're just going to move it in into a support because it's the same people. So just to track it. So, but, you, but you're exactly right. Or you can just create it as a task on an existing user story, but sometimes that muddies the water. So yeah, I mean, that's actually a great example of how to use it. Um, if you are using user stories to intermix yeah. it. For sure. And then maybe your feature would be like, you have a backlog epic and a certain feature under the backlog, and then you keep all of your PBIs tied in there somehow. Mm -hmm. I like this. I'm going to dig and into it a little bit. I think that that's probably the key point that like getting across to people is there's no one right way to use Azure DevOps. And that was probably one of the things that scared me into using it or getting into it was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'm going to do it wrong. I'm going to set this up incorrectly. But then you find out that every team that you work with is going to use it slightly different. Every company is going to have their own way of, you know, putting things together and there's no, it's not right or wrong. It's just what works for you. The type of team you have, you know, if you have three people versus 30 people, you're going to use it very differently because, you know, that's a lot more of a workload that you have to manage. So, um, so yeah, I like that. And, and we hit on that. And I think that was something important that I wanted to make sure I got across to people is that, you can't go wrong. Like no matter what you do, it, it, you just got to make it work for you. 
Now, obviously we recommend setting up this hierarchy, having some sort of rule. I would definitely define how you're gonna use these different work items. Um, I mean, you don't have to use ethics if that doesn't make sense for you, but I mean, that's obviously we would recommend, you know, I, I mean, I've always done it that way, but you don't have to use it. True, and I think what you just said too, I'll echo that the key is to set it up how it's gonna work for your business and then tell everybody how you want it to be used. I think that if you set it up in a specific way and then just cut people loose and say, oh yeah, just you know, go, go use it how you use it, then that's where you're gonna run into issues. But if you set it up and say, this is the definition of an epic, this is the definition of a feature, this is a definition of a user story, then I think you're more likely to get buy-in and get people using the system in the way that you want it to be used. Absolutely. Um, I want to get into some more of these work item types because you have two in here that I've never used. Decision um, and change request, which I think I can assume what a change request is, but I've never actually used it in ADO. So would love to hear your thoughts on those. All right, sure. How you've used them. Yeah, so a decision is probably one of my new favorites, I have to say. So, and the reason I like it so much is because sometimes when you're working through a backlog of work, you're typically, exactly like you said, right? When you're working with the users, you typically write out a user story statement, and then you may refine that a little bit more and add some more color detail to it as you're working. And if you bring that back to your users and you refine it with them and like review the level of detail and they say, oh, that's a really good thought. We haven't thought about it. Instead of spending your time in the call, letting everyone discuss it and bouncing ideas off of each other during a call that you may have purposed for like backlog refinement or doing something else and you have other things to get through. What I'll do is just create a decision in ADO tie it to the user story that we were talking about and assign it to the business person that has to make that decision. So, um, you know, my, like much of the items in ADO, you can email when it's assigned to you. And then we also have it trackable in ADO so I can follow up on that and I don't have to make myself a sticky note of like reminder to track this person down and see if they made their decision. Okay, it's about to become my new favorite thing in ADO because my favorite or probably my least favorite thing that happens in these backlog meetings or when you're starting to story point things, um, t-shirt size, whatever, and there somebody always says, oh, let's take this offline. Like, we don't need to do this in front of everybody. And you have no idea if that conversation happened, how it happened, any notes from that conversation. I... People are going to hate me. I think that's awesome, Allie. I'm so glad you introduced me to that. It's <laughs> that's seriously definitely going into everything that I touch in ADO now. It's such a game changer because, and again, I'll say this again because I think it's hugely important. One of the reasons I like ADO is because I don't have to remember as many things, right? It's all in there so for true. me and we can go back and find it and reference it. And again, if you set the expectation with your teammates of I'm assigning this to you, please write back and put your notes in this decision and then have them close it out. And I know we'll get to statuses in a little bit, but like give them direction on what they're supposed to do with it, record all their notes in it. Then I can reference it too. And I can see like what's being discussed right there on the item. It's they're awesome. I love them. <laughs> well, and I like, um, and, and I know we're kind of deviating a little bit maybe from our agenda, but like you can take people, right? So once a decision is made, you can like take the person that needs to know or all the people that need to know, and then they'll get an alert as well, right? So it kind of, I think it would, in my mind, it seems like it would 
cut down on email. I know people would get an email alert, but you know, then it's not like an email back and forth where people are replying to the same email and blah, blah, you know, it's just one alert. Hey, here's the decision. Cause we tagged you in the comments. I think that that's awesome. Right. Or to take it one step further, you know, as a consultant, I may need the clients to discuss it on their end. So they may discuss internally throughout the whole discussion without tagging me. And then when they get to a decision, they'll tag me and they'll say, here's our final decision. So like, I can see the whole history there if I want to. It's, it's really nice. It's convenient. That's awesome. That's yeah. Cool. So, so what, what the next change request? Okay. This one I also really like. I don't use this one as often, I'll admit, um, but I think it would come into play a lot on projects um, that have a lot of scope and a lot of things going on. Because again, I think this ties back to other episodes that we've had, like about user acceptance testing and is it a bug? Is it a task? What is it? And I think the third thing to add in there is, is this a change? Because a lot of the times when you write user stories, you want to hit this point where you say, okay, it's done, we're going to develop to this. But then when people start working in the system, they have really good ideas and they get excited and they start wanting things flipped around once they see how it works. And that's the nature of the game. However, it's not possible to get all of those things done if you want to keep the timeline for the launch of your new tool or new product. So really what we'll do is enter that as a change request and say, hey, this is the change that's being requested. This is the impact to the build that we've already built out. And I'll even include in there like how much time we think it'll take. And then if there's any impact to the timeline or budget, um, either of those, and just note it all within that change request and kind of outline, this is how we have it built today. If you want it changed to be more optimal, this is what the change is. And then I'll also use that to have like a business owner to come in and approve it within the change request there. Um, so again, some companies need you to sign a formal contract for changes, but if it's like a really small functionality change, this is a good way to track it and show that it's different from your original user story or requirement and that the business is acknowledging that it's different and that they want you to work on it. And that, that was, was going to be my question. No, 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 no. That was awesome. I think, so my question was going to be kind of exactly what you touched on the, at the end was change requests typically have some sort of cost or time association to it. Right. And so it sounds like probably like if they're saying, oh gosh, there's this whole new process, you know, that needs to happen and needs to be scoped out. This isn't really the time or place for that. It's more so, oh, you know what, as we were going through here, we saw that this additional field would be really helpful. Let's just add it in really quick. You know, something small, easy. It's not going to take, you know, tens of hours or multiple people to resolve. Exactly. Like that's or, how change requests is used best. Yeah, that's what I would say. Or even at businesses that you have a dedicated IT team or, you know, you have a dedicated admin that's working on projects where maybe like budget isn't as important or timeline isn't as important, but you just want to be able to capture that what the business originally requested is now different than what they're requesting now. And you want to be able to yeah. capture that they're acknowledging that change because I'm sure you've, you've been in this situation too, where someone tells you to do it one way, someone tells you to change it and they didn't talk to each other. Um, yeah. So this is another way to keep track of that and to say, okay, this is the person that acknowledged that we're doing this change. Got it. Yeah. And I think, um, I know we we're both consultants, not right? So we come from this angle of being consultants, but we've also both been internal 
admins or product owners or things like that, right, at our companies. Um, and so I think that there's a huge use here internally as well, because, I mean, I think back to all the ways that I've tried to track um, requests or things like that that come in from my user base. I mean, going from like SharePoint lists, you know, 15 years ago to like using the cases. I mean, ADO is like the perfect place to just get people licenses and tag them. And it's a great way to kind of organize, um, you know, what's there and get the approval that you need. And I think tracking it as a change too kind of takes out some of the tension of, like we talked about previously, is it a bug? Is it a task? It's like, just put it in here as a change so you can still track it as an item. We'll still get the build done on it. But now your dev team doesn't have to worry like, no, it's not a bug. You know, you can say it's a change. It's fine. We're still going to do the work. And it takes out that tension a little too, I think. So going back to terminology here, because I know that we did this user acceptance um, podcast in the last couple of months, I don't remember exactly when it went live, um, where we talked about, is it a bug? Is it a feature? Is it, you know, a new request? Things like that. So when you think about the terminology from that conversation, bug, feature, new request, and you think about bug, feature, and ADO, are they the same or are they different for you? Yeah, so those would be different for me. Um, So again, all of these things that we're talking about right now, like a decision, a change request, a bug, a feature, or task, I usually do features as tasks. Those I'm all associating back to the user story or the requirement. So it's usually not the feature level. It's usually not the epic level. It's kind of like your working item is that user story or requirement. And then all these are usually affiliated with that. So I there's bugs in ADO and it has a really cute red bug icon that I love. <laughs> I love it, but I hate to see it because then it means something went wrong. <laughs> right. And, and you know, too, like people see the bug and they're like, oh, it's not a bug. And it's like, okay, well, if that happens, here's another cool feature of ADO. You can actually convert that bug into a different work item and it'll copy it. Yeah. So that kind of takes some of that out too, where um, I've told some of my users in the past, I don't care how you get it into ADO, but if you can get it in there, I can work with it. And so if they're creating bugs and I'm like, oh, this isn't a bug, then I can just take that and I can convert it to a task and then add it to like the backlog or wherever. So it's not tracked with bugs because, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's important too. So get them in there and you can always convert them to something else. Yeah. And I, I agree. I use it the same way, right? Like a feature during UAT testing is not the same as a feature in ADO, but I think sometimes just this using the same word for two different things can get confusing. So I think sometimes it's good to just discuss terminology and in different cases, it's going to be used or it's going to be mean different things. Um, I like that you said that those new features that potentially come up, so during user acceptance testing or just in general, right? People are getting into the system and you add them in as tasks. Um, I I like that idea too. Sometimes it's even a new user story, right? Because it completely comes up with it or that that might be where PBIs come in, right? It might be helpful is to kind of track this one off additional thing before we get it into a user story, that kind of thing. So, um, Yeah, so I I think, I guess my point there was same words, different meanings, depending on what you're talking about. Yeah, and that's a really good call out too, because tasks, I think, in ADR are used so broadly that it's just kind of something to do, you know? And then we also have tasks within CE and tasks within Outlook, and task is just such a universal word, I guess. So So I'm glad that you clarified. Yeah. (laughs) Agreed. Um. So we have so much more to talk about on this on this topic. I know that um, creating a 
project. I know we wanted to talk about that. We are coming up on time. Is there anything else, Allie, that you wanted to make sure you got in in our first podcast of this series? I know you mentioned there's going to be a series and we're going to revisit a lot of this and go in more depth. But is there anything else that you think needs to be said, at least in this first part? (laughs) Well, what I love is that I didn't even realize we were coming up on time. So I think that speaks to how excited we both are to talk about this. So I think that's awesome. And I'm glad that we're going to spend more time talking about this. You know, there's a lot more functionality out there and we're excited to take you guys through ADO. Um, I hope that you come along this journey with us. And in two weeks when our next episode airs, my homework for everybody is to go see if you have access to ADO, um, dev.azure.com and see if you can uh, maybe set up some projects or get something set up so you can get a visual on what we're talking about. And if you have any questions, always comment them to us and we can help you out if you need help getting set up too. Yeah, that's, that's a I'll great point. We would. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, that's a great point. Like reach out, right? And share your feedback and comments for others. I think that that's the best way that we can all learn. So definitely share your experiences. Well, thanks, Allie. We'll uh, be back in a couple weeks for our next iteration on ADO. Thanks for tuning in to Dynamics Hot Dish, your go-to podcast for all things Dynamics 365 and the Power Platform. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to follow us on social media for even more insights and updates on the latest trends and best practices in business applications and low-code development. We'll be back soon with another delicious serving of Dynamics and Power Platform goodness. Until then, keep innovating and building great solutions.